insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. I got a fever and the only prescription is more Patrick Madrid. Come on. Hey, did you see that commercial, Cyrus, on the Super Bowl of all those people doing Christopher Walken impressions to Christopher Walken? I didn't. Is it worth oh. looking up? Oh, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> all right. He's factory repping some car. I don't know what it is, an Audi or a, some luxury vehicle. And he doesn't really say hardly anything in the whole commercial, but everybody he's talking to is doing his, an impression of him to him. It's funny. You should oh, I bet it. that doesn't get old for him. Oh, I bet it doesn't. But it, it's probably why this commercial is so funny, because the poor guy must constantly go through that. So I think the waiter says, is this table good for you? I mean, I can't do the voice, but... Oh, no, you can't. That's great. Give us I some really more. <laughs> no. Uh, 888-914-9149. We're going to go straight to the phones. Let's go to Amy in Spokane. Good morning, Amy. Uh, good morning. So my question has to do with um, praying to the saints and asking for their okay. intercession. And the context is, I and I'd always thought, you know, you could even ask souls in purgatory to pray for you, even though they're not saints. But I heard um, on a different show, somebody called in, and this priest is an exorcist, and she was saying her she's been praying for decades for her grandparents who have passed away, and she presumes they're in purgatory. And she said, now can I start asking for their prayers, assuming they're in heaven. And he said, you really shouldn't ask anyone to pray for you unless they're a canonized saint because you shouldn't commune or talk to the dead. That's an abomination. So that got me thinking, oh, my goodness, I ask sometimes Fulton Sheen or Mother Angelica because I believe they're in heaven. And I'm like, should I not be doing that? Um, But if we can ask the souls in purgatory for prayers. And then I'm like, well, can you ask, what if they're blessed? What if they're venerable? Does that mean they're in heaven? Like, when is it okay Mm -hmm. to talk to them? Okay, this is a really good question. It's a subtle one, too. So let me begin, Amy, by saying um, I have great respect for the bona fide exorcists in this church. Every diocese is supposed to have one. So far be it from me to gainsay something that they've learned through their ministry in exorcism. So I want to assert that at the outset. But I have heard occasionally some things from certain exorcists who are popular because they're exorcists who have said things that are what I would regard to be beyond what the church actually teaches. And I don't know who this person is, and I don't want you to tell me who it is. Let's just keep it in the abstract. But based on what you're saying, I don't think he is correct for this reason, because we if we were restricted from praying only to the canonized saints, then we could never we could never invoke the intercession of any of the saints in heaven, and the vast majority of those in heaven are non-canonized saints. There'd be no way that we could ever invoke their intercession, and we do invoke their intercession in the Litany of Saints, for example. All you holy men and women of God pray for us. All you holy patriarchs pray for us. All you holy prophets pray for us. None of those people were canonized saints. And yet we invoke their intercession in the church's formal rite of in the invocation of the saints. So to me, without going any further than that, that's sufficient in itself to demonstrate that that claim is incorrect, that we mm-hmm. should only pray to canonize saints, because the church in her life does not do that. Okay. So I would, I would certainly go along with and, and, and agree with the idea that we have to be careful 
so that we're not doing something that could unwittingly invoke the participation or the communication with an unclean spirit. We always have to avoid that. But to propose that asking an uncanonized saint who is in heaven to pray for us, that that's somehow the equivalent of necromancy or what was the word that you used? I don't think it was necromancy. Um, it was, just an abomination. Yeah. It's an abomination to God to pray, to commune with the dead. Um, and maybe I might've misinterpreted him because she was saying her grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just saying you have to be assured they are in heaven, but I'm, can't you offer souls in purgatory? I'm not, You can. I thought they could pray for us. Okay. And maybe yeah. it's selfish. Maybe we should be praying for them instead. We but should can be doing do that. No, we should be doing mm-hmm. that. There's no doubt about that. But uh, along the lines of this issue of necromancy or um, familiar, uh, communicating with familiar spirits, the witch mm-hmm. of Endor, for example, that Saul summoned, I mean, there's mm-hmm. clear biblical condemnation of those things. But the this is where I would find a problem with this way of looking at it, is because the Church is very clear that the communion of saints is nothing whatsoever to do with necromancy or trying to conjure the dead or communicate with the dead or any of those things. Okay. This this yeah. argument um, is based upon a mis- misunderstanding. So let's put it this way. The Bible okay. is really clear. It condemns mm-hmm. any kind of attempt to communicate with the dead through seances or trances or Ouija boards or incantations, things like that. Leviticus 19 mm-hmm. 26, Deuteronomy 18.10. There are many different passages that say this, but the Church reminds us that when we invoke the intercession of the Blessed Mother and the saints, they are alive with God in heaven. They are members of the Mm -hmm. body of Christ, just like we are. They are praying for us. They are the cloud of witnesses that the writer to the Hebrews talks about at the uh, beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, end of chapter 11. And they are more alive than we are. You can mm-hmm. put it that way. So it, it, it's completely different for these biblical reasons for us to invoke their intercession. It has nothing whatsoever to do with conjuring spirits or communicating with the okay. dead. You can also point out that mm-hmm. the Lord Jesus Christ brought two dead people into direct communication with three living people, Peter, James, and John, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He brought mm-hmm. Moses and Elijah from the dead, to talk with them, or to be in their presence, talking with him. So we can see that in a godly way that is that is permitted or even commanded by God, there is that kind of interaction with the saints. So long story short, okay. I would propose to you that given for the reasons that I just mentioned, it would be excessive and unnecessarily restrictive to say that you can only ever ask for the intercession of a canonized saint. I think we've sufficiently destroyed that argument to show okay. that it's not true. Um, Especially if they need a, a miracle to become canonized, right? And that's because we mm-hmm. asked for their intercession. It's exactly right. That's another element of it. So in, in the step of beatification, that's the whole point of asking the deceased person to, if you are in heaven, Please work a miracle of intercession. That would be forbidden under the rubric that you were told. So that too is okay. a problem, obviously. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I just adore Mother Angelica for what she did for me with her EWTN when she was alive. I just, 
I feel like she's there and Fulton Sheen. And so I'll keep. Well, don't neglect to pray for those who have died. That's something we should always do. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the book that's called The Dogma of Hell, written by Father F.X. Shupa. You've heard me talk about it from time to time. He also wrote a book, a longer book, on purgatory. And one of the things that's striking about that book that really got my attention is how many people, lay people, but religious people as well, religious sisters and brothers, priests and such, who died and everybody in their community thought, oh, this person is definitely in heaven. And from time to time, God would permit souls to come back and say, mm-hmm. um, why, did, why aren't you praying for me? <laughs> I need your prayers. Okay. Please don't forget yeah. to pray for me. So in our exuberance and our love for whoever it is in this life that we have high regard for, let's not neglect to pray for them in any case. And if, if so-and-so, whoever he or she is, is already in heaven, well, your prayers aren't wasted. Those prayers will be applied okay. to others in purgatory. So you always win. Okay. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate the call. Very interesting stuff. And oh, if you're interested, I wrote an article on the topic. It's called Any Friend of God's is a Friend of Mine. And it's among about three dozen articles that are all free. They're on the show page. So just go to relevantradio.com slash Patrick and then click on the blue button that says links and you'll find the articles there. So if you want to print it out or save it to your computer or your phone, what have you, it's called Any Friend of God's is a Friend of Mine. And it's a biblical look at this issue of the communion of saints. Thank you. Let's go now to Richard in Plainfield, Illinois. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, the question I've got, I've got so many friends uh, that are, well, they're not real close friends, but anyway, they, um, they're living together, they're having sex, they're not married, and they're saying that uh, they don't see any of that anywhere in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that talked about that. But why does the Catholic Church consider it a sin? You know, it's funny when you say that, because I'm pretty sure that those people are not daily reading the Bible. I bet they never read the Bible. I, ne- I bet they've never really looked to see what the Bible actually says. They're just saying that because it's an easy out. Um, yeah, you can quote 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. I mean, that would be an example. Now, sexual immorality is a category there, um, but it's certainly, you know, divided into many other things. So adultery, fornication, impurity, sensuality, um, homosexuality. The the Bible really talks at length about these things. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, gives you a series of these different things. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus talks about the sexual immorality of adultery, living with a woman who is not your wife, if you or she is already married. Um, the, the Bible, and in particular, the New Testament, is replete with reminders that sexual immorality, including fornication, which is two unmarried people, uh, these are sins that will send you to hell. So the funny part, not not toward you, Richard, I'm not diminishing your point. But what's funny about that is the people who make this claim clearly have never actually read the Bible, because all they would have to do is open it to find disproof of their theory. So you said Corinthians, what was that? 
I said a bunch. <laughs> For the one I quoted first was First Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse eighteen. Chapter six, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then Galatians nineteen. Yeah, Galatians five. Mm-hmm. Galatians five. five, nineteen and forward. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It couldn't be plainer, could it? Gotcha, exactly. And then the last one was Matthew something. Matthew 19 is where Jesus establishes the paradigm of marriage between one man and one woman. And there, and you can begin reading uh, in verse 1, because the whole first part of the chapter is kind of a, a set piece. And in it, among other things, he's talking about how if a man, and he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He has a provision there, he says, except for sexual immorality. What he means by that, and the word there in Greek is porneia, it, it doesn't mean that if a man and a woman get married and then one of them, or even both of them, commits adultery, that, they're, that they can then leave the marriage. That's a common misunderstanding. What he's saying is, except in the case of porneia, sexual unlawfulness, meaning that they're not actually validly married in the first place. They're living together as if they were married, and maybe they think they're married, but in a case like that, if they get a divorce and get remarried, they're not committing adultery because they weren't actually married to each other in the first place. So that was the Methayan passage talking about the nature of marriage. Gotcha. Uh, One quick side note. This friend of mine, so what happened is she's from Poland. She, um, uh, and I don't know the difference between Poland and us as far as the Catholic Church, but she said... uh, when she moved here to the States, um, her and her husband, well, see, they weren't husband. They were just living together. They ended up having three kids together before finally somebody from their families were able to come from Poland to come over here to see them get married. So all those, so the three kids, is that, uh, is, is that blessed in the sight of God? Well, the children are a separate issue. I mean, they're beloved by God. They didn't have any say in how they were conceived. But no, I mean, if the mother and father were fornicating and cranking out kids as a result of the fornication, no, that's not, that arrangement certainly not blessed by God. That doesn't, that doesn't, you know, impugn the children themselves. So let's keep them at a distance here, separate from that. But the sin of the mother and father, sure, that's a real problem for them. So is Unless it important they that they go, that she, she is my friend. Uh, so uh, if I was to recommend that she needs to bring that up at confession, would that be a, a right thing to, that she needs to do? I would say so, yes. I mean, assuming that you have sufficient standing in her life, because that's a very, you know, intimate, personal thing. But if you're a friend of the sort that you could tell her that, and, you know, you would have that kind of relationship where you could say that, sure. It'd be important to let her know. Because, it would help her. It would save her. Mm-hmm. Help save her. It would help save her. It would hopefully help her come to a sense of contrition for those sins. Right. Exactly. Wonderful. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate all your time. 
You're most welcome, Richard. I appreciate your phone call. Thank you. And this might be the best time to take a little break before we go into another phone call. Let's do that. You're listening to The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And Pledge Drive is over. Don't worry. It happened last week, and it was a success, too. $3.2 million, thanks to God's providence and your generosity. But you can still participate for today if you go to relevantradio.com or use the Relevant Radio app. And I will be right back. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. At the intersection of faith and culture, The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Taco Tuesday. That's how we do it. Cyrus, give me a little of that uh, Taco Tuesday vibe that you've got going there. You're good at that, man. You weren't so good when you first started doing it, but you perfected it. Now that's what I call a taco. 888 Let's go to Justin now in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, Justin. Hey, Patrick, Cyrus, quick comment um, to follow up uh, the email that uh, uh, was read about the, the woman and her, her children not being oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, admitted to school. One thing that came to mind for me was that it may be an issue of tuition, that they weren't, they're, they're not allowed to go there or uh, given the opportunity to go there mm-hmm. because of tuition that they are not able to pay. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it may be that, but I don't think it was because um, she didn't mention that. And she also said she didn't know why they wouldn't accept her. And I would yeah. think that if it was a tuition issue, they would say, well, it's you know X thousand dollars a year. And she would say, well, we can't afford that. So she would know why if it was a tuition issue, it seems to me. Um, so I don't deny what you're saying could be true, but it, based on what she said, it doesn't sound like that was the issue. Yes, thank you. Thanks for, for clarifying you're, that. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. And um, I'm glad you're listening, Justin. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to call in. Uh, let's go now to Agnes in Chicago. Good morning, Agnes. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, my question for you is, um, I'm planning for my, to read the Old Testament, and somehow I got prompted to read the book of Judges. Okay. And I was really profoundly, I, I was shocked by what I read. But anyway, if you could comment on it, first of all, who wrote the book of Judges? Um, you know, it sounds like there's internal strife between the tribes, and then mm-hmm. the, the horrible story of the Levite that allowed his concubine to be abused and then turned around and then cut up her body parts and distributed those body parts to the 12 tribes of Israel and, you know, claimed that, you know, he was, you know, that he was the victim and yet he was, you know, probably perpetrated the crime. Um, so anyway, I would like your opinion, <laughs> or not your opinion, but what you have uh, in terms of your knowledge about the book, who wrote it and what I could glean from reading this, um, this particular sure. judges. I'll, sure, sure. I'll, I'll do my very best. So, 
what I'm going to do, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm going to rely upon the expertise of Father Ken Baker, who wrote a book called Inside the Bible, and he'll give you that information. So I'll just share with you from that chapter of the book. It's published by Ignatius Press, by the way. So Judges is the seventh book in the Bible. Um, the date and author between the occupation of the Promised Land and the coming of the first King Saul, there was a period of about 200 years, from 1200 to 1000 B.C., and charismatic, there were several charismatic leaders like Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Both written and oral traditions from this period were gathered together during the reign of King David and in subsequent centuries. The Deuteronomic writers probably finished the book in the 7th or 6th century B.C. Thus, the composition of the book took place over a period of about 600 years. So I'll pause there. This is the way of pointing out that there was no one single author but that these exploits, these oral traditions, the things that were, in, were inspired both you know, by those who saw these accounts or these events and those who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to set them down, they were gathered together in the form that we have it now. The general theme, he says, is that fidelity to God brings blessing while infidelity to him brings punishment and misery. God, however, is always infinitely merciful, and at the first sign of repentance, he comes to the aid of his people by raising up a new judge or leader. A fourfold cycle is clearly spelled out in the book, sin, punishment, repentance, and deliverance. It goes like this, the people fall away from the true worship of Yahweh and worship local idols. God punishes them by allowing them to be conquered by an enemy. In their suffering, they recognize their sin and ask for forgiveness. In response, God raises up a new judge who delivers them from their enemies. Then there is peace for a while until the next generation sins and the cycle is repeated. Judges tells the story of what happened to the 12 tribes from the time of the conquest until the advent of the kings. The stories of the different judges offer traditions from various tribes, uh, for it does not seem that the judges ruled over all the tribes. They were quite independent of one another. Samson, of course, is the most famous of the judges. The basic outlines of his life are known to people who have, even people who have never read the Bible. The last chapters of the book represent the view several times that in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as he pleased. It was, and it references specifically the, the chapters that you're mentioning. So chapters 17, 18, 19, and 21, those are the areas where you see uh, for example, in chapters 18 through 21, some of these uh, gruesome stories. It was a period in which there was no central government of the 12 tribes. It was more a theocracy than a kingdom. And, and so the point here, it says, is that some of these people were living lives that were terrible, and it was showing some of the terrible things that they did in, within the, or against, rather, the backdrop of this cycle of God's people falling into sin, suffering as a result of it, and then coming back out and being forgiven. So without consulting you know, a deeper commentary on the issue, I think that's at least a general answer to your question. That's why you're seeing some of these terrible deeds being done. It's, it's, it's um, an example of the, the depravity that was present among some of these people during the time that they were rebelling against God. Does that help? Yes. Uh, thank you, Patrick. It sure does. I'll keep reading. 
Thank you. Okay, fair enough, Agnes. Okay. And uh, Dr. Scott Hahn has a wealth of commentaries. If you're interested, he's got lots of insightful commentaries on things like this, so that could be another source for you. He's certainly at a far, 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 far higher level than I am when it comes to his knowledge of Scripture, so you might want to check him out. Are you familiar with Scott Hahn? Oh, yeah. I, I, I've i heard him, and then I belong to his organization, too. I contribute to it. Oh, wonderful. So I'll okay. check that out. But, Do yeah, I just want out. to say that reading Judges, I mean, it's just like we have parallel times that we're living in when True. you hear about these horrible things. There's I mean, some the really freaky things going, going on today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I'll pursue it, and thank okay. you again. You're most welcome. Thank you. 888-914-9149. We'll go to Jenna now in Denver. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning. How are you today? I am loving life. Good. That's wonderful. Thanks. Um, I have a question for you. We, um, our family is Catholic. We have several children. And um, my daughter is a senior in high school. And she has befriended a classmate who's a girl but thinks she's a boy. And we've been talking with her about this and sharing our concerns and um, cautioning her to keep keep a, a right frame of mind about it. So she came to us last night saying that she feels attracted to this girl now and is considering having a dating relationship with her. It completely took us off guard. And I'm wondering if you have some guidance for us in parenting her and maybe some resources for both my husband and myself but also for my daughter. Tell me a little bit more about the girl that she is having feelings for. Is it a girl or a boy? She's a girl. Well, she thinks she's a boy, but she's okay. a girl. That's what I thought you um, said. Yeah, and she, I know that my daughter's a senior right now, but when they were freshmen and they became friends, um, this other girl tried to push her feelings on my daughter and sought a relationship at that point, a dating relationship. And my daughter was completely offended, horrified, didn't know how to handle it. And in the end broke off their friendship um, for two years. So they weren't even friends at all. And so we were a little surprised that she had started being friends with her, but she had assured assured us over the months that, um, the last couple months that, you know, this this girl has a better understanding now, is not pushing it anymore, and just wants to be friends. But obviously, that's not where it went. Right. It sounds like it. So the point is that she she's now telling you that it really isn't more than just friends because she's at least being in, importuned to be romantically involved, right? That's right, yes. Okay. Well, there are layers of problems here, obviously, and she's only, what, 17, 18 years old? Just about 18. Okay, so she was seven then when this first go-round happened, and she broke off the friendship when she was seven or eight years old. Good for her, by the way. No, she was a freshman. Oh, I thought you said 10 years ago. No, no, no. She was a freshman in high school. Okay, I misunderstood. I thought you said that for 10 years they didn't have a relationship. Okay, my misunderstanding. Oh, no, just two. For two years they didn't really talk or anything. I see. Well, I mean, that first decision was a good one, at least as far as protecting herself from going down a road that's very problematic, to put it lightly. 
Let me start with a couple of resources. If you're looking for some resources that can help you and and your husband, and also her too, if she's willing to read them. The first one is a book by Helen Joyce. She's a British author. The book is called Trans, T-R-A-N-S. And it's an analysis of this phenomenon. You know, what what is this? What What's happening in the, in the lives of people who feel drawn in this direction? What can we do to help them or how can we speak to them, etc.? So it's a, okay. it's a critical evaluation of the phenomenon, but I don't mean critical in the sense it's not mean-spirited, it's not right. um, con- condemnatory, but it is a critical appraisal of the problem. The other book I would recommend is by okay. Abigail Schreier. Pardon me? Oh, is it F-R-Y-E-R? What are we talking about now? The the book, Trans? Abigail. No, Abigail Fryer. Yeah, Abigail Schreier. S-C-H-R-I-E-R. Abigail Schreier. The book is called... Um, I, I lost my train of thought. Forgive me. I just had the title on the tip of my tongue. It's called... Um, 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 Cyrus, look it up for me, if you don't mind, please. I lost my train of thought. Uh, Abigail Schreier, it's called um, Irreversible Damage. That's what it's called. And it is a book on the transing of young girls. And it, too, is a critical appraisal of the phenomenon. She's, She's Jewish, as I recall, and I don't know that she's a religious Jew. So she's coming at the problem not from a religious perspective, nor is, for that matter, the author of the book Trans, Helen Joyce. She's not coming at this from a religious perspective either, which in a way, I guess, might make it even more valuable and less you know, less problematic for your daughter to read because she's going to be able to see that this is not simply an objection on the basis of religion. But my advice, if you're asking for it, would be that you and your husband— be very direct, loving, obviously, compassionate and loving, but very firm in telling her that you absolutely do not approve of this relationship if it's drifting in that direction. And then to ply your daughter with the this kind of good, clinical, well-documented, science-based, uh, fact-based information that will push back against the ideological nonsense that's being promoted in I would have to guess a lot of which your daughter has imbibed in the ensuing two years from the time she broke off this relationship to resuming it now in that two-year period, I'm guessing probably the ideology got to her, probably in school. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. I think also she she did have a, a pretty brief dating relationship with a young man who didn't respect um, her morals. He she never allowed him to do what, what he proposed, but he pushed it multiple times. And I think she got the opinion that, um, I don't know, maybe that that's what men want. And so. Well, it is what men want at some level. That's true. Not, I mean, not all men are slaves to their passions, but I'd say nowadays most men are. So. Yeah. So that'd be my advice, Jenna. I realize it's a difficult situation, but it's not insurmountable. And armed with some of this good information, that can be a big help, at least in understanding more clearly what's going on. But um, I I don't detect in what you're saying to me that you're afraid of a confrontation. 
but don't be afraid of a confrontation. Don't be afraid to assert your parental authority. Obviously not in a heavy-handed way, obviously not in a tyrannical way. You don't sound like that kind of a person anyway. But at the same time, I wouldn't back down from a confrontation if that's what it came to because you know she's she's your daughter and you have to protect her. And even though this other person may be, you know, very nice in in so many ways perhaps, there is a real problem here. And if she thinks that she's a boy, that's not the kind of companion that your daughter's looking for, especially if she's thinking about marriage at some point. She should have her, her radar up for the kind of young man who would make a good husband, and, and this friend is not that kind of person, obviously. Well, I hope that's helpful to you, Jenna. I really do. And um, maybe down the road, after you've had a chance to talk with her a bit, I'd love to hear how things turn out. Thank you. Let's go to Dolores now in California. Good morning, Dolores. Good morning. I hope you're having a really good morning. Blessed oh, day. thank you. Thank you. You oh, too. Uh, before I ask my question, I want to say your show is like a spiritual beacon to me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Kind my, of you to say my, so. Thank you. So um, my father got married when he was 50 to his first wife. And, uh, and she was 18. They, they passed on. And so I have three siblings that are from my father's first marriage. But there was a time that my mother wanted to get an annulment. Um, She had, you know, she had never been with any man. And so... So pause for a moment, please. So your father, at first it sounded like you said he was 50. Then I thought you said he was 18. Oh, he was 15 when he got married? Yes. (laughs) Well, even even for the church's law, the minimum required age for a boy to get married is sixteen. But well, he was born nineteen forty. <laughs> were they married in the Catholic Church? I'm guessing they weren't. Yes. Really? Yes. Did he have the permission of his parents? Yes. Okay, it's remarkable, and maybe there was a dispensation granted. It sounds kind of weird to me, but okay. Um, so your he father was. Had already- your father was 15 when he got married, and how old was your mother? No, it was not my mother. It's his first wife. She was 18, and she had already had a child, which they're, they're gone. So I've been told he didn't know about the, the child. But after that, I have three um, half-sisters, I mean, two brothers. One, Anyways, one time um, I called my one of my sisters. She's now you know, moved on Christian, you know, same, but not the same. And uh, I told her that my parents wanted uh, to get married to the Catholic Church. And she mentioned that she would be a bastard then. I'm not sure what you're talking about, Dolores. Forgive me. I'm I'm a bit lost Well, here. because of his first marriage. So, he- so let's start over. So your father was 15 when he got married. The woman he married, who is not your mother, his first wife, was 18 but she already had a child. Did she have a child from a prior marriage or was it just a child out of wedlock? Out of wedlock. Okay, so she was not married before she married him. No, and he didn't know about it when they got married. Okay, so then they got married in the church, and she somehow hid this earlier child from him. How that would be possible would be hard to imagine. So did they remain married then until his death? No. Uh, uh, I found out that uh, she 
she cheated. I really don't like to go into those details, but that kind of situation, you know. And uh, so he left, but he already had three children with, you know. With the woman he married? Yes. Okay. Then he married my mom, and she was she was around 20, but he was already, by then, around 34. Okay. And so what my mother wanted, because my mother was very faithful Catholic, I mean, at the end of their marriage, she ended up just celibacy, even though she lived with my father. Right. So tell me, I want to make sure I understand the question. Are you asking me <clears throat> how you would respond to your sister, who... If the earlier marriage, if there was a declaration of the of nullity of the earlier marriage, would that render the children from that earlier marriage bastards, illegitimate? Is that the question? Well, that's a hard question to ask, but that's pretty much what I'm asking. I... Yeah, so the answer is no. So the the fact that they were married, legally married, and for that matter they were married in the church, that's that means that their children were legitimate. So an annulment does not delegitimize any children. It just means that the marriage was invalid in the eyes of God and the church. The, the legality of a marriage is something that the state recognizes. So if they were duly married in the eyes of the state, all their children were entirely legitimate. So you're either legitimate or illegitimate. So the annulment has no bearing on that whatsoever. It doesn't render them illegitimate. Does that mean that his second marriage, because he never married my mother through the church? Well, that's a separate issue. Um, maybe I misunderstood you. I thought your question was, were the children from that first marriage, if that marriage were to be declared null by the Catholic Church, would that mean that the children from that first marriage are illegitimate? The answer is no. It would not mean that. Okay. I jumped to a second question. I was just thinking of us, but... I see. Well, it does sound like a tangled issue, that's for sure. I'm sure there's uh, plenty of emotion to go along with that. Um, I hope I could at least resolve that one issue for you. I'm glad you called, though. Prayers for all involved, that's for sure. This is the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Hadley Daily. Yo, what up, everybody? Just stopping by to drop some more wisdom on y'all. Now I got to hit you with some real talk. Ugh, was that darn recording again. Of course it was. It's been calling all night. Just unplug the phone. And if you have kids or you're just trying to get through life as a good person, you're sitting on a resource that's rightfully yours and will help you and your family. Dang. I told you to unplug the phone. But it could be my mother. Don't miss out on this golden opportunity. Slide on over to the relevant radio app and start listening to the Patrick Madrid Show. Let your friends and family know how I sent you. Shoot! That is it, Ned. If you don't unplug that phone right now, you're sleeping on the lawn. Download the relevant radio app. They got my stamp of approval, baby. 
dos, tres, cuatro tacos. Don't forget the rice and beans on the plato. I like to eat, homie, yo no estoy flaco. Yeah, chubby, pero I'm still guapo. Uno, dos, tres. Patrick Madrid is on. Taco Tuesday. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio. Taco Tuesday's my favorite day. That's the reason why I'm all away. Pero I don't care, homie, let them hate. I'm just trying to eat another plate. Another one. Yes, it is Taco Tuesday. That's true. Thank you for listening. And the number is 888-914-9149. We have fun around here. If you didn't pick up on that already, I'm here to tell you. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. My number is 888-914-9149, sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. So let's start off with Molly now in Chicago. Good morning, Molly. Good morning, Patrick. So um, my question has to do with the Super Bowl. Um, I know, you know, Taylor Swift was a big topic and um, the people that were in her box. So I... Um, it looked like the bar scene I, at Star Wars, that box. Yeah, yeah. It did. Well, so, I expected Han so Solo to get out the lightsaber. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. So my brother had a different take. He sent me a text and said, oh, this looks like Frodo, Legolas, and somebody else. And I was like, hold on. Um, I... I saw a different Twitter thread that said that Ice Spice, whom he was referring to as Frodo, was was putting forward like demonic signs and satanic signs and was wearing an up down, upside down cross. So I said, you know, this seems like the opposite of Frodo. Sent that back. So I didn't get a response. And then um, yesterday, his wife sent me a text with fact checking. So I okay. was like, you know, Kind of a little uh, blood boiling here. And so I said, you know what? I need to call Patrick, the ultimate fact checker, and see <laughs> what he has to say on this. There because... are better fact checkers than me, but I appreciate the compliment, though. Thank you. <laughs> You're a pretty good one. Um, so, like, you know, with Taylor Swift, there's so many young girls that, like, look up to her and they, um, I don't want to say worship her, but that it looks like worship. And then this mm-hmm. Ice Spice. I didn't know if you had any insight on whether, like, those were actually satanic signs, if she was wearing an upside-down cross, and just kind of clarify that for me. And then I didn't know how to respond, and so I didn't respond. Um, this morning I did send, like, a, here's some prayers to say for Lent. But, like, I was, I was, you know, I had a lot of responses that I chose to stay silent. But I wanted to see what your response was, was on, like, this Ice Spice and Taylor Swift. Well, I, I put on my, my fact-checking cap just now. And so during the Super Bowl, I, you know, I saw they would cut away to the Taylor Swift box. Looks like the bar scene of Star Wars to me. And um, I didn't really look at much of anything in there. I didn't really care. Still don't. <laughs> but I did do a quick search on Google for Ice Spice Super Bowl. And... She's wearing a cross. It looks like more of a plus sign, but I guess if you look at it closely, it kind of maybe is an upside down cross because the part above the cross beam seems a little bit longer than the part below it. So I suppose it could have been an upside down cross, but let's say it was. Let's just say that was an upside down cross. You've got this confused, ridiculous, flamboyant person who happens to be on camera during the Super Bowl, and who knows how many, you know, hundreds of millions of people watched it. And she's got an upside-down cross. Um, okay. And I'm not saying this to you. I'm just saying this, like, generically. My reaction is, 
I feel bad for her if she's doing it to blaspheme the Lord, all the more reason that I would pity her. And, you know, I hope she gets her life together and I hope she repents of whatever her sins are and comes to faith in Jesus and and goes to heaven someday. That's my hope for her. But in the meantime, it's just a clown show. And it, what does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with you? Why should we be unnerved by it? The more Why wretched we hive of scum and villainy. I have no idea what's happening here. What is that from, Cyrus? That's Obi-Wan Kenobi saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, never, <laughs> never mind, never mind. It's a clown show. It's, it's a bunch of confused, worldly people who are scalp deep in whatever stuff they're involved in. Attention-seeking. I mean, but but it doesn't affect me. And if she's wearing an upside-down cross, again, I mean, I, I don't want to see blasphemy and I don't want to see people go to hell for blasphemy, but she's not sending out x-rays that are bombarding me with any evil. She's not, she's not casting a spell on the Super Bowl audience. She's not harming people. I mean, understand what I mean here. She's not like, casting spells or hexes or demonic whatevers on people because she's wearing a silly upside-down cross necklace. It has no relation to us. It has no no bearing upon us whatsoever. Um, that's my reaction to the whole thing, is that it's like a tempest in a teapot. We can feel sorry and, and feel pity for people who are in that plight and tell our children, you know, don't look up to these people because they're deeply confused. I don't know the first thing about Taylor Swift. I really don't. But, I mean, these are are not role models of biblical virtue, if you ask me. So whatever right. they're going to do, they're going to do, and I don't care. Jimmy Crack Cornyn, I don't care. I care for their sake, but that's about it. I really couldn't care less, mm -hmm. you know. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? I, I, that's my reaction to it. Well, with with the Taylor Swift and you know all of this hype about her around um, Travis Kelsey and them their relationship, I you know it's caused a lot of other people you know young girls to get more you know interested in the Super Bowl and whatnot and yeah. football. But the the point being, like even at her concerts, I've heard that you know there can be some witchcraft and that you know there's some that she practices it. So there's a lot of other, like, you know, things. I don't know if that's that's true or not, but, you know, I, I agree with you to use caution and, you know, I, I, you know, try not to get too involved in the Hollywood and their, their, um, their lives. Cause I, they're not, they're worldly. They're not godly. So right. I just didn't know if you knew, had any more insight into Taylor Swift and if no. like, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for information on Taylor Swift, you got the wrong guy. I'm saying that jokingly, but it's still true. But, you know, when I was a teenager, so we didn't have the Internet in the 1970s. We didn't have um, apps or anything like that. But there were bands like Black Sabbath and, and other bands that were, like, deeply rooted in the occult. And you could see it at, by the way they dressed. I mean, Kiss, a great example um, very much things that were overtly satanic or overtly, at least, in the occult. I mean, Black Sabbath, what does that tell people? So I just ignored that stuff then. I just ignored it. I didn't listen to the music. I didn't go to their concerts. I didn't buy their albums. I just ignored them. 
because, you know, even though I was a product of my age to some extent and, and I liked lots and lots of different music, I just knew, I knew enough to know that I was going to stay away from that nonsense. So um, my advice would be the same today as it would have been then. And that's, you know, if you, if you see that your favorite singing star is doing things that are blasphemous, you know, cut her off. Mm-hmm. Just ignore yeah. it. You know, some people are, you know, I'll give you an example. There are even some Catholic organizations that they, you know, let's, you know, sign this petition to to show how angry you are that so-and-so wore an up, upside-down cross or Madonna did this or this artist did that. And really what they're doing is they're fattening up their their mailing list to, you know, to to beg for money. That's really all that does. But to to be um, worked up over it, to me, is wasted energy. We can acknowledge it for what it is. We recognize that's really too bad. That is blasphemous. And the way that I'm going to personally deal with it is to not deal with it. I won't buy albums. I won't go to concerts. I won't buy paraphernalia. If that person shows up on a video, I'm going to turn it. Uh, just pay them no never mind. That's really all they want anyway. They're just attention seekers. So you're saying just shake it off? Yeah. See, what, that I, a see song? what I did there, Molly? Did you just trick see me, what Cyrus? I did, Molly? <laughs> shake it off. Isn't that a song of hers, right? Okay. That's the only title of any of her songs I know, but. The way the way you said it gave me this feeling. Maybe he's tricking me. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I have nothing against. Ta- I mean, really, I don't know the first thing about Taylor Swift. I saw her at the Super Bowl because she was there, obviously, and they kept sw- swinging the camera over there. And her boyfriend is playing for the Chiefs, so that's a big deal, I guess. But I really don't care. And this this pop spice or corn pop spice or whatever. Um, Ice Spice, that's what it is. Never heard of her. I had no clue who this person was before the Super Bowl. I don't really care. I'll say a little yeah, prayer for them, but that's about it. I didn't know anything it. about her either. Yeah, it was yeah. just that there were a lot of people in my family seeming to, you know, call them heroes. And I think I had trouble just ignoring my family. Yeah. I, I have no trouble ignoring Taylor Swift and Ice Spice and whoever else was in the box. Heroes of what, though? My I'm curious to know. How were they heroes? Well, they call they um, they called them Frodo and Legolas, and I, you know I've watched the Lord of the Rings, and mm. you know those are you know the Christ bearers; they're my heroes. And yeah. so you know to like say that they're you know somehow to be worshipped, I just I just couldn't get behind that, huh. and so I absolutely pushed back. Not. I probably should have just. <laughs> let yeah. it go. Let it. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That's my reaction to all that. But I understand, yeah. Molly. I really do. And hang in there. I'll be back with hour three right after this. Now.